الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى والصلاه والسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل ان كنتم تحبون الله فاتبعوني يحببكم الله ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم والله غفور رحيم وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كل امتي يدخلون الجنه الا من ابى قيل ومن يابى يا رسول الله قال من اطاعني دخل الجنه ومن عصاني فقد ابى او كما قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وسوسكتد علماء الكرام برذرن الناس almost at every step that a person takes one of the most important things that he encounters especially if he is traveling somewhere is that all the time there is a need to identify himself person is traveling so at every checkpoint he needs to identify himself he needs to pass through some customs he needs to identify himself he takes a flight he needs to identify himself if he is going to be boarding some kind of bus also sometimes he needs to identify himself so the identity is something that is very very important and crucial for many people to know who this person is and many a times when a person is identified as so and so then he gets treated in a certain way he is identified as a vip then he gets a vip treatment and if he is identified as a nobody then he gets that kind of treatment if he is identified as somebody who is a high risk person for whatever reason then that is the way that he is then dealt with so the point is that this identity is something that everybody generally regards as something very very crucial and indeed it can become very crucial sometimes it can become a matter of life and death one person was shot and killed walked out of his house and suddenly somebody who was waiting for him in ambush shot him and he passed away after some investigations it turned out that this was what they called a case of mistaken identity that actually somebody else was being targeted for whatever the reasons were they got the wrong person and the wrong person by chance happened to well however they misidentified him so that was the time that they pounced on him and he passed away the point is that this identity can become so crucial it can become an aspect of life and death but just as this is the one part of identity that who a person is in terms of his name in terms of his address maybe in terms of what he does that's one part of his identity there's a more greater part of his identity and a more important part of his identity that identity which allah taala wants him to uphold at all times and the identity that allah taala has given him via rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam the identity that allah taala has given him is that he is a mu'min he is a believer in allah taala he is not somebody who is believing in something else 
He's not a person who worships some idol. He's not a person who goes to church, Nauzubillah. He's not a person who has some other allegiance to something else. He's a mu'min. He believes in the oneness of Allah Ta'ala and he believes in the commands of Allah Ta'ala. And then the identity that Allah Ta'ala gave him being in the ummah of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam that he is an ummati. He is a follower of none other than Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he is not a follower of anybody else. So this identity that has been given to him by Allah Ta'ala and this identity that he gains by means of being the follower of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam this identity is beyond every other identity. If somebody doesn't know his name, doesn't know his address, doesn't know who he is, doesn't know where he comes from, but they must still know that he is a mu'min. They must still know this is a follower of Rasulullah And this is something which is an extremely important thing for a person's preservation of his iman, for the preservation of his Islam, for the preservation of his, the Iman and Islam of his generations. It might sound like something very, very far that to maintain this identity might be so crucial to maintaining and preserving a person's Iman and that of his children and his progeny. But if a person just looks beyond the structures that Allah Ta'ala has blessed us with, with the barakat of all the efforts of deen, and the efforts of the ulama kiram that have come into this country from ages, the efforts of the work of Dawat and Tabligh, the efforts of the Makatib and Madaris, and all the other efforts of Deen, if we just go out of this sanctuary of ours, and ask those who have travelled abroad, those who have gone to South American countries, those who have seen the situation first hand, with thousands, not five and ten thousand, sometimes in the hundreds of thousands, people migrated from various other countries, Arab countries and settled there. And within one or two generations, that child, besides knowing that his name is Ahmad or Muhammad or Yusuf or whatever, he doesn't know anything else about Deen. He doesn't even know the Kalima. He doesn't know, can't read one letter of the Quran Sharif. He hasn't heard of Salah. Barely three generations down. No sign of any deen left in, and many the names are changed also. All they remember is that their grandfather was a Muslim. Now it seemed like this was just something that was unrelated. But it starts off with this not protecting the identity that Allah has given us. And not protecting that identity of being the ummati of Rasulullah As a result, when a person doesn't guard this identity, then this enculturation takes place because he's living alongside other cultures. So slowly this borrowing of other cultures starts happening. First in one thing, then in another thing, then in all aspects of life. And before he knows it, there's no sign of his own culture. There's no sign of his identity. On the other hand, we look at the Sahaba Ikram, that to what extent they maintained this identity, upheld it, they didn't compromise it at any cost. If you look into the lives of the Sahaba Ikram, on the one hand, Allah Ta'ala blessed them that there were times when their numbers were so small, yet they defeated huge armies. One glaring example of that is the battle of Yarmouk, which was against the Roman armies. The Sahaba were 40,000. 
40,000 is a big number, but they were facing an odd, odd of 240,000. Now what's 40,000 compared to 240,000? And it seems like there was no hope. But this army of 40,000 overcame that well-equipped army of 240,000 on that battlefield. Thousands of them were killed, many had to flee. This was one kind of victory that Allah Ta'ala blessed them with on that battlefield. But there was a greater victory than this. The greater victory than this was that they conquered the hearts of people. And they conquered the hearts of people by means of maintaining their deen. And upholding that akhlaq of deen. And maintaining that identity that Allah Ta'ala blessed them with and Rasulullah gave them. To understand that to what extent they maintain this identity, just some examples from their lives. When Rasulullah was coming to perform Umrah, so now he had left Makkah, Mukarramah, made Hijrat and gone. And now so many years had passed. And now he decided to come for Umrah. But it's a lengthy incident. The Quraysh nevertheless became hurdles in the way. They said, we're not going to allow this. Nabi Islam camped at Hudaybiyah and then sent Hazrat Usman Ghani to come and negotiate with the Quraysh. And the whole purpose was so that the Sahaba could come and merely make Umrah and go back. There was no other intention. Usman comes into Makkah Mukarramah and he is hosted by his cousin who is also one of the leaders of the Quraysh. And now the next morning he is going to now negotiate with the Quraysh. So this is a very high level negotiation. This is a negotiation on a very diplomatic level. And now when Usman is leaving, his cousin looks at him and he says to him that look how you are dressed now. This is going to affect the Quraysh are going to look down upon you. So it might affect the negotiations. That your garment is so high above your ankles. The Quraysh, they walk around with their garments low below their ankles. So you to do the same. Otherwise they'll look down upon you. Usman Allah's spontaneous response. Now, this is a very, very crucial moment. He's come as an ambassador from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Nabi Islam has come all the way from Madinah Munawwara. And that time, that journey would take almost 10 days. And now he's camped outside Hudaybiyah. And now they are yearning to come to Baytullah. And these negotiations might make it or break it. Usman is now going to be the person to do this and make it happen as they say. But his response is, La ha kaza izratu sahibina sallallahu alayhi wa that no, this is how our Rasulullah dressed and this is how he's commanded us to dress, this is how I will dress also. Anybody thinks anything else, that won't affect me. And anybody looks down upon me, it's because of the cataracts in their eyes. A person who sees something red all around, but the problem is he's got red glasses. So now because he can see everything red, we're going to try to change it and make it look white. He's going to always see red because he's got red glasses on. So we don't have to change anything to make it look white for him. It is white. We have to tell him and explain to him how to get the red glasses off. So unfortunately, many a times we are worried about that what this person might look down upon me if I do this. It's because he doesn't understand. So now he will never understand until we make him understand. He's not going to understand by us changing something. 
of what we should be doing and how we should be conducting ourselves, if we change that, that's not going to make him understand. By explaining to him the beauty of Islam, the beauty of the sunnah of Rasulullah the beauty of the way that, of deen, that might make some, open his mind, open his heart out, make him understand things in his proper perspective. But Usman didn't take any effect from this. Unfortunately, in the type of situation that we find ourselves in, many a times, this identity that we are supposed to uphold at all times, gets compromised. Why? Because if I don't do what should be done to fit in that group, now there's a business meeting, but where is it? It's in a casino. But now if I don't go there, then I'm going to lose this deal. So now I have to go there. So now because I have to go for that deal, I will put myself in an environment that is an, the identity of evil. A person has to sit now and negotiate with that woman. So now he has to shake her hands and he has to now do all kinds of sweet talking. Why? Because now otherwise he'll lose that deal. Because she's the rep now. But what about the deen that he has? Allah Ta'ala has told him what are the limits and parameters? What are the boundaries within which he must conduct himself? That now takes a backseat because the deal has to be done. So this is that identity that a person has to maintain that no matter what the deal is and who the dealer is. But his primary concern is that he must not compromise his identity as a Muslim. Hazrat Ma'aqil ibn Yasar he is eating and one morsel falls off his hand onto the floor. He's sitting on the floor and eating, one morsel fell off from his hand onto the floor. So he immediately picked it up and he cleaned it and he ate it. So now he was sitting in a place where all the other leaders of the disbelievers were also there, the Roman leaders etc. The noble men of the Romans. So somebody told him that look at how these people are staring at you in disgust so to say. That all this food is in front of you, you picking up this morsel of the ground. So what was his response? His response, one is now a very, very uh, thought out response. person had one, one day to think about it. That one day to think about it, it can be just a made up response. It's not necessarily something from the heart. But something that comes spontaneously, on the turn, that can only come from the heart. Sometimes it's the good and sometimes the evil of a person gets exposed also in that manner. He's suddenly on the spot and he blurts something out. That what gets blurted out in the moment, that is normally what is inside the heart. Now just, just the, something just provoked it and just brought it out in one second. Then the person sometimes says, but I didn't want to say this, it just came out. It came out but it was inside. So this spontaneous response speaks the reality of what is inside. And what was his spontaneous response? Inni lam akun li ma sami'tu min Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam lihadihil a'ajin. I will not leave out what I've heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for these disbelievers. Nabi Islam taught us that if a morsel of food falls onto the ground, pick it up, clean it, eat it. This is the ni'mat of Allah ta'ala. This requires that every drop and every grain be appreciated. 
not a drop should get wasted. And it is easy to clean off that muscle, we clean it up and eat it. Otherwise it is showing ingratitude to Allah Ta'ala for this great bounty and ni'mat. Person has abundance, then now he wants to leave something just for me to be thrown away. He has had something to drink, but now he'll leave a quarter, he'll leave a little less maybe, which will get wasted. Why he's doing this? Because he's got so much. Allah Ta'ala has blessed him with so much. But if he was standing in a line of refugees, waiting for an handout, and waiting for that one perhaps bottle of water which must last him till the next day, or he was living in Cape Town right now, then he'll appreciate that last drop of water. Now suddenly when Allah Ta'ala sometimes tests a person, then he understands the qadr and value of what the ni'mat of Allah Ta'ala are. So Maqir ibn Yasar didn't feel anything that what will people think. Now unfortunately, this often dictates many things in our lives. And as a result, we start doing things we should not be doing. Or we hold back from what we should be doing. Why? What will somebody think? A person is traveling somewhere. Now it's the time for salah. I might be traveling in a plane or whatever it is. It's the time for salah. The time for salah is time for salah. A Muslim will perform his salah. There won't be any second thought in his mind. What will somebody think? What they will think is that this is a Muslim and he's praying. That's what they'll think. But shaitan puts all kinds of thoughts in the mind that I don't know what they'll think. Maybe they'll think something negative. If they think something negative is because of their red glasses. That's not going to... We don't do something that we're supposed to do won't take the red glasses off their eyes. So a Muslim won't hold back from what he's supposed to do. He's at a station, at a bus station, at an airport. It's time for salah. There's no other place for salah specifically designated. He'll put his musallah in some corner without giving anybody any taklif. He will use that bathroom to make his wuzu. He won't hesitate to make his wuzu, but he'll use it in a way that leaves it better than how he found it. He won't leave it in a way that will cause taklif to somebody else. But he will not hold back from what his obligations of dina because of what somebody might say. Nobody will say anything. These are all ways in which shaitan makes a person give up what his deen is all about. Sometimes his obligations of deen, sometimes his outer identity of deen, just in order to fit in somewhere. Whereas that fitting in doesn't make us fit anywhere really. We become misfits because we are supposed to fit into the mold of the Quran and Sunnah. That is our, our shape. Now we are trying to fit ourselves in some other mold. The mold of the Yahud, the mold of the Yasara, Nasara. That's not our mold. We can't fit in that shape. So this is the way in Hazrat Maqir ibn Yasar nothing deterred him. He was very comfortable. Once the Sahaba, when they migrated to Habasha, and now they, while being in Habasha, in Abyssinia, the Quraysh decided to come and take them back. How can these people be sitting in peace? We must bring them back and persecute them. So they come. Again, just to get to the main part of it, they bribed the ministers, etc., to get to the king. And finally the Sahaba summoned. But when the Sahaba come, the protocol, the protocol there was that anybody walks in that court of that king must bow down to him. The Sahaba refused to bow down. So the, there was a, now obviously all this was all, the ministers were all bought off already to do all this. So they started making a big noise, started making an uproar. 
what is the matter with you people? Don't you know the protocol here? Don't you know you need to bow down? So the simple reply was that Allah Ta'ala sent to us our Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam وَأَمَرَنَا أَلَّا نَسْجُدَ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ And he's commanded us that we do not make sajda to anyone but to Allah Ta'ala. It's only sajda to Allah Ta'ala, not to anyone else. So we will not bow down to anybody. Now they are in the court of this king. And what, what are the repercussions that can happen? That if they don't maintain the protocol that is there, they don't uphold that protocol, the repercussions can be that they'll get now thrown out, they'll get handed over to these Quraysh, they'll be taken back to Makkah Mukarramah, they'll be persecuted, and what not will happen. But despite all this, straightforward, that yes, we are here, we appreciate what is being the refuge that has been given to us here, but that is where the line stops. We are people who will abide by whatever the aspects are provided, it does not make us contravene what the Quran and Sunnah has given us. Otherwise, this is where we stop. But what was the effect of this? Now normally the situation would be shaitan would put in all these kinds of thoughts. And if you don't follow the protocol, now the protocol is that web comes, you must shake your hands. The protocol is that this is how you deal. And all kinds of protocol. But protocol that cuts right across the deen of Islam that Allah has blessed us with. Now a person for that deal is dealing in anything, in anything and everything. Is dealing anyhow. Because otherwise how is he going to survive? That's the question now. All these kinds of questions shaitan puts in the mind. Now here was more than survival. But what was the effect of it? effect of it that Najashi, the king became very impressed and then after all the other questions he eventually said to them you be at ease you worship Allah Ta'ala in this land of ours nobody's going to touch you but what was the effect effect came from upholding that identity of Islam upholding that culture of deen not compromising it for anything and anybody unfortunately when a person is living in a place where the cultures all kinds of cultures are living side by side and a person hasn't appreciated the value of that deen that Allah has blessed him with and the value of those amal that Allah has blessed him through Rasulullah then he starts borrowing from the other cultures he's seeing how somebody else is holding their functions he wants to do the same how somebody else is having their weddings he wants to do the same that manner of nikah which Rasulullah taught that nikah is the nikah wherein the greatest barakat is, is the nikah wherein the least expenses are incurred. That na'uzubillah doesn't make any sense to him anymore. Now, he has to have it in that grand style that somebody else has it, where all the laws of deen are flouted. And at the most, that deen and the identity of a Muslim, that upset our function. You stay in the parda corner. If you want to be here, then you go in the corner. Otherwise, the rest of us, we are now free to do as we wish. Our identity is now all mixed up. So when this starts off, one thing leads to another, and then it just becomes foretold that a time will come that when only the name of Islam will get left. And a person will be a Muslim by name, 
but his actions he would be borrowing from everybody else. He'll be conducting himself like anyone and everyone else. Like one person, non-Muslim, he was just talking, he came for some work, and then he's just talking about how he's, according to him, how you have to survive in the business world. So now he talks about what something he, this terminology which we heard for the first time, he says you don't use industrial language, you can't get your work done. So first industrial language, you heard of industrial equipment and industrial many things, never heard of industrial language. Then it became apparent what he's talking about, industrial language is all the flowery language. In other words, if you don't use that flowery language on your staff and on others and whatever else, you will not get done, that's the way it works. So now because somebody who says that business only works like this, a Muslim also says it can only work like this. So the akhlaq of Rasulullah that identity that Nabi Islam gave him, that you're a Muslim, that which Allah Ta'ala gave him, Say to my servants to speak that which is good. That now is out of the window. Because how can, can't manage in business without this? So this is all because of somebody else doing something in some way, a Muslim is borrowing. And he's borrowing from here and there and everywhere. In the process, he's losing his identity as a Muslim. Besides his name, nothing gets left there. We need to now bring back this identity, make it alive, hold on very firmly to it. This is the preservation of our deen, the preservation of the deen of our children. This identity goes deep down in the heart. Many have lost that identity internally already. With the influence of whatever they're taking from the schools and universities and whatever else, environments, Darwin's theory has become part of so many persons' lives. He's believing it to be Nauzubillah fact. Yet he will be outwardly a Muslim, whereas that is a theory of kufr. Now this is that identity is totally lost already inside. It's a matter of time before it gets lost outside as well. But the reality is what is inside. So this is something that we need to be very conscious about. How this comes about is that the sunnats of Rasulullah need to be brought alive. Every sunnat of Rasulullah to understand its importance, to love his Mubarak way of life. And to bring alive that Mubarak way of life. In every aspect, externally, internally. To start making ourselves think like Muslims. Think like a person who is thinking in the light of the Quran and Sunnah. Thinking in utmost sincerity. Thinking in that manner which will bring the pleasure of Allah Taala, And bring us closer to Allah and His Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Give us the reality of the importance of this identity of a Muslim and enable us to uphold it at all times.